welcome back to our first uh, round recap of Down to the Wire. Uh, again, with my NHL analyst, Nolan Tho. Nolan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing all right. You know, it's, it's been about a week since the Oilers are out of the playoffs. So, you know, uh, the stress is less there, but, you know, it kind of turns to you guys. Tonight. The Habs have a big game seven coming up tonight against Toronto. Uh, I think most of the hockey world and, you know, even some of the sports world, I've been seeing a little bit of attention drawn to it, you know, elsewhere other than just, you know, Canadian markets. But uh, it's going to be a great game tonight, and I think everyone's looking forward to it. Well, getting right into it, we'll start with your Edmonton Oilers uh, going up against the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. And, you know, it, it was one of the more closest sweeps in recent memory. You know, when we think of a sweep, generally speaking, uh, we think of one side completely dominating the other team, uh, we don't generally, you know, we don't see these 2-1 hockey games that could go either way. Uh, you know, the goalies both played amazing. It really could have been an easy 4-0 sweep for Edmonton, if you think about it. Uh, you know, and it seemed as though that Edmonton didn't get the secondary scoring that they were used to getting in the season, especially down the stretch. Uh, you know, and credit to the Jets' defense, they really kept McDavid and Drysaddle in check, really playing them uh, hard and tough defensively. You know, McDavid and Drysdale only really exploded for a game three, I believe. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really. So let's let's talk about the triple overtime uh, game four right there. I didn't really agree with Tippett's coaching uh, in overtime, especially when you're benching, uh, you know, basically two lines. You're rolling 4D and you're benching Ethan Bear, who is, you know, supposed to be a part of your young blue line you know, in defense for the future. So you might want to get him used to overtime in the playoffs because when you have the best player in the world, you're expected to make the playoffs every season. Um, you know, and I give credit to, you know, Darnell Nurse playing 62 minutes and seven seconds, uh, a complete workhorse there. But, you know, it just, it, it confuses me because next thing you know, Ethan Bear, he made a wrong line change, which led, which led to the Kyle Connor uh, game-winning goal game series uh, winning goal in triple overtime and it just the uh, we got to speak about what he what he faced and you know with the racist comments like you know that's when you know a fan base has gone too far like his girlfriend said on Facebook that criticism is warranted and you know I like that you know that, that's perfectly fine criticism yeah. is warranted you're you can say like oh you know at Ethan Bear you know you suck or whatever like that that's fine um, but when you when you then go the next step and you make racist remarks, that's when it gets too far. And, you know, the Oilers had the momentum in game three, right? They were up 4-1, and then they just collapsed in the third period when uh, Josh Archibald uh, tried to get back at Logan Stanley. So it's actually funny because with the Stanley Cup playoffs, there are these mini battles that happen during the game, these mini one-on-one battles. And if you see during that Archibald penalty shift, you know, Logan Stanley hit Archibald, right? They're on the boards uh, where the puck had just exited the zone. And Archibald did, took exception to that, essentially. He didn't like the way how uh, Stanley hit him. So then Archibald goes, goes across the ice and basically tries to hip check, but clips uh, Logan Stanley, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, caused Edmonton to lose. Like, that was the turning point in the game. And then Matthew Perot scores on the power play Josh Morrissey ties it up from the point and then Nick Ehlers off that face-off play and you know I, I, that brings to my attention that face-off play by Winnipeg because Winnipeg was good at the face-off top but they kept doing that same play and it seemed as though Edmonton 
you know, couldn't really defend against it. You know, they had a, in that triple overtime game, they had a couple of those plays and, you know, that's really uh, how Edmonton lost in game three. And then finally to close up my perspective of this is, you know, Winnipeg, I think we're starting to realize that they were one of the more underappreciated teams in the North division uh, just because of their defense core. No, I fully agree. And I think, you know, for the most, the majority of the season, the Jets were kind of, you know, up there with the Oilers and the Leafs in that, you know, top, you know, sort of tier of the North division. And then they, you know, had, had a rough ending to the season. I feel like it left a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths and, you know, they weren't expecting much from this team heading into the postseason, but you know, to my surprise as well, you know, my prediction had the Oilers in six and whether it be biased just because I'm an Oilers fan, I want to see it. You know, I, I truly believe that, you know, the Oilers were going to figure out, you know, a way to beat Winnipeg. They were seven and two against them in the regular season. You know, they had their number, you know, all regular season. But, you know, in that game one, we just, you know, Puyarvi scored the opening goal. And after that, we just couldn't get anything past Hellebuck. And, you know, huge credit to him. You know, he, he, he was the best player for the Jets, you know, this entire series. And I believe, you know, when you're playing against a team like the Oilers, when they need to score goals to win, you know, uh, just... A, a really good goalie performance can, you know, turn things down really quickly. I, I, I fully agree with your point about, you know, it being such a close sweep. You know, the first game was 2-1 up until the last couple of minutes. The Jets had two empty netters and then, you know, three straight overtime games after that. It was just, you know, really heartbreaking and, you know, never really got a taste of that victory in the, in the postseason. And as an Oilers fan, you know, there wasn't much to celebrate about. And, you know, we're just kind of short-term memory and looking forward to next season, I guess. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. And it, it just, it, yeah, it's so weird. And especially, it obviously happens during a, a pandemic year where we can't go see the games. Like, I can't even imagine the Bell MTS place and what the reaction would have been, uh, you know, clinching the series winning goal in triple overtime. And then, you know, Nikolai Ehlers finishing the game. Like, that, that place would have erupted. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's a moment. It's a great sports moment, but... You know, you think back, you know, when the 4-1 lead is blown, you always have to think about 2013. And, you know, such a part of that was, you know, inside TD Garden, the Bruins fans, you know, they were such a part of that comeback. You know, the ones that actually chose to stay in their seats and watch the rest of the game, it was just electric. And, you know, I, with Winnipeg, I'm sure it would have been, you know, as good or even not, even not, you know, even better just because it's such an incredible atmosphere when that, you know, arena is packed in the playoffs. And that's something that the Jets, you know, even though they didn't have the whiteout crowd, you know, they were able to, you know, figure it out. Did you see the, the, uh, was it the Bud Light Seltzer can dancing? Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I saw him sitting in the crowd, you know, throughout the series and yeah, I saw a little dance at the end. It was, it was, it was a little bit of salt in the wounds for me, I guess. Let's move on to the East Division. We'll get to the final North Division series next week. Uh, obviously, Game 7 is tonight when we are recording this. But moving on to the East Division now, uh, talking about the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. The Bruins beat the Capitals in five games, 4-1. to one. Uh, You know, just my thoughts. Well, Washington couldn't get proper goaltending. Vitek Vanacek injury basically happened at the wrong time. Uh, you know, it forced Craig Anderson to come in and play. And he played really well in relief. And Personally, I thought he would, that, you know, performance would merit him another appearance. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't, uh, you know, that didn't go through. The perfection line for Boston was unstoppable. Uh, you know, they're currently making another impact in the, you know, so far in the Islanders and Boston series early on. Uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin is now becoming a free agent. 
ending a 13-year contract. Uh, and there was a couple of post-game, uh, or sorry, um, uh, it was, uh, you know, there were locker room cleanup uh, type pressers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the reporter said that Alex was playing hurt and he had a back problem in the postseason. Oshi uh, has said that he has thought of being exposed to Seattle in the expansion draft. You know, he doesn't want that to happen because he said that, you know, he didn't sign an eight-year deal to get traded, but he does want to retire as a Washington Capital. Uh, John Carlson during the series blocked a shot with his knee and was playing injured. So just it goes to show you how um, how these hockey players are warriors and, you know, the playoffs, it, it goes, you have to go the extra length to stay in the game. Yeah, exactly. You know, Ovi was dealing with the injury at the end of the regular season, you know, kept him out of my fantasy playoffs. So obviously tough and he, he comes back in and it seemed like he didn't miss a beat, even though he was playing hurt, you know, he was able to still bring that, you know, energy that you expect from him uh, in any scenario, whether it be a regular season or postseason game. I think, you know, with this series, like you mentioned with the Archibald hit, I think that was a real turning point in that game three. But, you know, the turning point in this Bruins series, I think, you know, the Bruins were down late in game two. They were about to go down 2-0 in the series. And Taylor Hall scores to tie the game and they end up winning in overtime. I think, you know, without that goal, it's a completely different series. You know, from that point on, it seemed like, you know, the Bruins were just controlling play and they were able to get the best of the Capitals. And, you know, they, they ran four straight games on them. It shocked me, honestly, to see the Capitals bow out so early. Like, I thought this series was going to go six, maybe even the distance to seven. I didn't think either of these teams would finish in five games. Yeah, especially after the first three games went to overtime. It was just such a close series. And, you know, people thought that it was probably going to go the distance just because it seemed like it was going to be back and forth, back and forth, you know, the teams exchanging wins. But, you know, the Bruins were able to win that crucial game four going up 3-1. And, you know, from that, you know, once the Capitals got in that position, there wasn't much that they could do. Moving on to the New York Islanders and Pittsburgh Penguins series. The Islanders beat the Pens 4-2 to in six games. Uh, the Beauvillier, Bailey, and Nelson line played lights out in game six. They were really controlling play and, you know, shredded up uh, whoever the Penguins tried to match with them. Sorokin played great throughout the series. He was really, uh, you know, I thought a huge piece in why the Islanders won. And, you know, it seemed like the Islanders kept, you know, being in the game. They kept hanging in there and being a pest to the Penguins. And, you know, the if we look over the history, the Isles have been the Pens the last two times they've played in the playoffs. So, you know, there's kind of history on the side of the Long Island, you know. Uh, with Kyle Palmieri, he was a great trade deadline acquisition. He scored the game one winner in overtime, I believe. And then he had another huge goal in game six. Uh, so, you know, he, those trade deadline acquisitions by Lou Lamorello are paying off. Jeff Carter for the Penguins, he played a great third line center role behind Crosby and Malkin. And I thought he wasn't going to provide much in scoring, but he asserted himself as a scoring threat uh, to me. He had three goals this series and, you know, basically was a constant threat every time he was on the ice. So I think that move really paid off for uh, Hextall and Burke, just, you know, despite them losing in the first round. And here's a fun stat that I found is Barry Trotz has not lost a playoff series since 2010. He has won two series in Nashville, four in Washington and now three on Long Island. That's seven straight seasons since 2015 as well. So Barry Trotz, again, going to the Hall of Fame in my books. Uh, it's such a successful coach. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, you know, after this series, 
you know, most fans kind of are, 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 you know, know what the Islanders bring to the table, but even the casual fans, I think it's time to accept that the Islanders are a much better team than people give them credit for. I think, you know, if you look at a team that, you know, they don't have a ton of star power, obviously they have solid players, but no one that, you know, completely jumps off at the page, you know, making, calling out superstar status, I'd say Barzell's, you know, their, their most talented player. Um, but, you know, they just roll four complete lines, three complete D pairs, and, you know, they have two goalies who can get it done. Uh, like you mentioned, Sorokin, you know, he was great in this series. And uh, I was kind of surprised just because Verlamov was, you know, sort of their guy all season, you know, Vesna, you know, Vesna consideration, at least he was playing really well and he tweaked something. So Sorokin had to get the game one start. He played well in that. And then I think Varlamov got game two um, and he played poorly. They were down two on a series. And then, you know, Sorokin took the net back and didn't look back. You know, he, he was just incredible. And, you know, he was able to keep, keep the Islanders in it. He was able to make the saves when he needed to. And then the team was able to go out and, you know, string off a couple of goals on Tristan Jari in only a matter of minutes. I, it was a really entertaining series for me. And like you mentioned, you know, this Islanders team, Barry Trotz, you know, winning series, but, you know, who would have thought that three years after losing John Tavares in free agency that they'd have four uh, playoff series wins to their name? You know, they beat Pittsburgh twice, and then they uh, uh, they beat um, the Capitals last year, and they beat the Flyers last year. So, you know, those are four really good – or those are three really good teams as well. You know, the Penguins, Capitals, and Flyers. This Islanders team, you know, they're a real threat, and I, I think they're going to have a really good series against Boston. Uh, I think, you know – either team is really capable of winning that series, but you know, the Islanders impressed me in the series and you know, they, they have the tools to make a deep run if they want to. And I think, um, you know, if we were to really put the blame for the pens, it really has to come down to Tristan Jari. He just didn't play up to uh, playoff caliber goaltending. We look in game five when he literally gave Josh Bailey the game winning goal, he sauced the puck right onto his tape. And, you know, next thing you know, the biscuits in the back of the net and uh, it just, the Pens needed that goaltending because they they needed to steal some games and Jari just wasn't capable of doing that. Exactly. You know, when, when you play against the New York Islanders, it's it's tough enough to score goals. You know, there's a feisty team that's not going to be able to give you much. So you need your goalie to be able to match them as much as you can. And he just wasn't able to. And, you know, it, it was a close six games. But, you know, in that game six, it was kind of just like, you know, the icing on top of the cake for the Islanders. They kind of just they were down in game six and then they kind of just came into it, you know, regrouped and, and ran away with it. Brock Nelson having two goals in that game. And it was just a, you know, great atmosphere in the Coliseum. Uh, I'm really excited to, you know, see the Islanders playing in that arena and, you know, next year when they get their brand new uh, arena, it's going to be, you know, really nice to see the Islanders finally having, you know, those fans come back because they had been missing it for the last four or five years when they played in Barclays center. Moving on to the Central Division with the Carolina Hurricanes and Nashville Predators, the Hurricanes beat the Preds four to two. And, you know, I, I think this series was quite surprising. I think a lot of people had the Hurricanes in a sweep, the Hurricanes in five games. I don't think people gave Nashville much of a chance to succeed in this series. But look, man, on the back of their crowd, I think the crowd really helped Nashville steal those two games at home. Uh, especially the one in overtime with Matt Duchesne scoring. But it, it's weird because the narrative with the story or with the series, I should say, was, you know, all home teams won, won the game, except in game six when Jacob Slavin, or it could have been tipped by Sebastian Aho 
when he scored for Carolina, uh, you know, and then Alex Nedeljkovic played amazing. Same with UC Soros. So another great goaltending duel. And I thought Nashville had some power play problems, uh, you know, and I think the game, especially in playoffs, is decided from the man advantage, is decided on special teams because, you know, if you lose a game uh, because your power play is not working or your penalty kill isn't doing the best it can be, you could probably you could possibly lose the series because of that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this series, you know, was a lot closer than people expected it to be. And, you know, not even just before the series, but after two games, you know, Carolina looked like they were, you know, on pace to sweep the series. They won two at home and Nashville just wasn't able to find a lot of scoring. But, you know, I, I think it's really great for the game. Like you mentioned, you know, every home team won except in game six. Uh, you don't think of Carolina and Nashville as like these these huge, huge markets, but, you know, they're starting to grow into it. And, you know, the, the game is expanding and getting getting fans in these smaller markets. It, it's huge for the league and for Carolina to be able to come home and play and have an electric crowd and Nashville to be able to come home and play and have an electric crowd. I think, you know, this series was just really nice for all the fans who had been missing the or yeah, for all the fans that had, you know, been missing fans in the in the in the arena all all season long. Moving on to the last series in the Central Division with the Tampa Bay Lightning and Florida Panthers, the Bolts beat the Panthers four to two in six games. And this was one of, you know, this was my favorite series to watch ever since from game one that really set the precedent for uh, what the series was to come. You know, that was the measuring stick. Okay. So there's going to be lots of skirmishes. There's going to be lots of uh, fights after the whistle. And that's just playoff hockey. Like I love that style of hockey. And, you know, with the Panthers, though, getting into the, you know, the news of the series, they didn't really get good goaltending. Uh, you know, they had to use Spencer Knight. And that's someone who I didn't think was going to start in the playoffs. You know, you're really going down the goaltending depth chart. Uh, you know, they have Bobrovsky, they have Drieger, both who had, you know, terrific seasons. And then you have Spencer Knight, who had, a, you know, a great season as well. So, you know, when you're going down the list and you have to use three separate goalies in a, in a series, you're obviously doing something wrong. But all, it was just Tampa was, you know, more skilled than they were. You know, Nikita Kucherov proved to be too much. He had 11 points in six games. Half of those or you know, the majority of them were on the power play. So he's obviously asserting himself again as another scoring threat, something that we've missed all season long. Mm -hmm. And then Steven Stamkos coming back, having eight points in six games. He was just as big of a threat. So it's great to see that the Bolts are finally healthy and that, you know, this is one of their best lineups that we've seen. You know, this is probably one of their best lineups, better than their Stanley Cup winning lineup. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, this Tampa Bay team has a real, real good shot to go back to back. Um, uh, you know, the way that they were playing in the series, it just looked like that, you know, in that game one, Sure, it was an exciting game and they only won by one goal, but, you know, the power play was clicking and I feel like things were just going well for them. And, you know, even after that game one, I thought that they were going to win the series and not only that, but, you know, have, have the ability to make a deep run just because, you know, you mentioned special teams and this Tampa power play is a really hard one to stop. You know, it's going to take a really good penalty kill to be able to consistently stop this power play. You know, teams have to be super disciplined, you know, when playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning and, you know, it, it hurts those teams because, you know, to sacrifice being a little bit more disciplined, you know, they're losing a bit of, you know, physicality to their game, a little bit of grit to their game, which is, you know, maybe a way that you can neutralize some of their top players. But, 
it, it's just such a hard Tampa team to beat. You know, they, they went all the way last year. Uh, and, you know, they, I think they had game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Islanders, but really didn't face too much adversity all playoffs. They kind of just, you know, were the better team in each series, and that's why they won. And I think, you know, they got the best of the Panthers here. But it was it was a really good fight from the Panthers, and I'm I'm glad to see the growth in the uh, the Battle of Florida or the Suns, Sunshine State Showdown, you know. We haven't really seen much between these two teams in their history, but, you know, this year we were gifted a little bit of a treat. But, you know, one thing that I want to say is that Vasilevsky didn't really impress me at all this season. Uh, or not this season, sorry, this the series. Um, because I found it felt like Florida was, you know, jamming the crease. They were getting bodies to the front of the net. Uh, it, it seems like Vasilevsky is one of those goalies where you have to screen him and so he can't see it and the puck's by him. Like he is the next, he's going to be the next Carey Price. He's going to win all the major awards one day. One year he's going to win the MVP, uh, the William M. Jennings, all those important goalie awards plus more. And it, it, he, before the shutout in game six, it seemed as though, you know, Florida was able to crack him. Like, I think he had a, an above three goals against average going into game six. So given that, it didn't really, he didn't really surprise me, which is kind of shocking. Yeah, but to your point about, you know, Florida having to use three goalies, you know, Vasilevsky pretty much just had to stop a couple pucks and, you know, he was doing better than the goalie on the other end. Like you mentioned, you know, they had to go to Spencer Knight. You know, they had two starters, you know, Bobrovsky and Drieger both, you know, this regular season proved that they could be starters for NHL teams. And it's 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 really crazy that they got so desperate that they had to go to the rookie. And, you know, he did play solid when he came into the lineup, though. I think it was a good spark for them. And I think, you know, Florida fans, if they didn't see enough in the regular season, they definitely saw stuff in the postseason being excited for the goalie of the future. Getting into the West Division now, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and Minnesota Wild kicking things off there. Uh, the Golden Knights avoid the 3-1 choke once again, or well, I guess not once again, for the first time in uh, three of four years they've been in the league. Uh, you know, the Golden Knights win 4-3 uh, in Game 7, or well, the series 4-3 in Game 7. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been three straight seasons where the Golden Knights, they've been up 3-1 in the series. Uh, so obviously we have San Jose, we have Vancouver and now we have Minnesota. So it seems as though Vegas is now having trouble, you know, closing out the series despite their deep team. And I label Vegas as Stanley Cup contenders. It seems as though they have, you know, deep defense. They have, you know, great depth that really came to show in game seven. I mean, look, Matias Yanmark scored a hat trick. I don't know if, you know, someone, I, I didn't, I certainly didn't have Matias Yanmark on my bingo card scoring a hat trick in game seven. Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you'd never look to your, your depth to come up in game seven, but look where we are now, uh, Vegas again, showing off their great depth. And that was a huge trade, uh, deadline acquisition from Chicago. So like we've seen with New York, uh, their trade deadline acquisitions are paying off for one another. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, this series was quite an interesting one. Obviously, the one nothing game in game one, you know, the Wild were able to steal that one on the road and then Vegas winning three straight games. I thought at that point in time that it was Vegas's series to lose, whether it be five or six games. I didn't think, you know, we were going to have to see a game seven just because, you know, Vegas had a lot of the momentum. Fleury was playing, you know, incredibly and, you know, the Wild lost Marcus Johansson, uh, broke something, whether it be a leg or an arm, he broke something, you know, midway through the series. Uh, and then, you know, I, I didn't really pay too much attention to games four or games five or game six, but all of a sudden I'm looking at my phone after the games and, you know, Minnesota comes out on top and all of a sudden we have a game seven and, 
you know, Vegas was able to figure it out by that game seven, you know, they won six, two, I believe, you know, pretty dominant victory. And, you know, that's the team we expect to see from Vegas. Like you mentioned, Matias Janmark with the hat trick in game seven, this team is so deep that even when your top guys like Mark Stone, who, you know, wasn't able to get on the score sheet in that game seven, you know, even when they're not producing, you know, you have your depth pieces, you know, playing a role as well. And it's, it's really crucial for teams that want to make a deep run to have those, you know, players that aren't on their top two lines, you know, contributing in many ways. Finally, closing out the first round recap uh, with Colorado and the St. Louis Blues, Colorado Avalanche, uh, you know, it was a sweep for Colorado. Uh, you know, again, this was this series along with the uh, NASCAR series and Nashville and Carolina series. Um, it seemed as though the, the fans, the analysts didn't really give much uh, you know, to St. Louis or Nashville. Like I thought Colorado was just going to dominate as well. Um, but, you know, getting into the notes of it, like the Blues blue line was banged up and it really couldn't handle the four check of the Avalanche. Uh, you know, they really kept game one close where they could have stolen one. Uh, I thought, you know, if the Blues really wanted to stand a chance, game one was to steal. And I think it was a 4-3 or it was, I think it was, sorry, 5-3 with an empty netter or something, some two-goal lead with an empty netter. Uh, but yeah, during during this type of series, Bennington needed to steal a game or two for the Blues to force a game seven or at least get there in some way. Uh, the Blues' best players weren't their best players. And, you know, had... David Perron been available for game, you know, or I think he was available for game five. I'm not sure, but, all right, sorry, he wasn't, but um, what, like David Perron was the leading goal scorer for the blues and he was put on the COVID list. Uh, So had he been cleared earlier, this could have been a, a complete different series. Like it's hard to replicate that goal scoring or that, you know, scorer uh, for your team when he's out on the COVID list. No, I agree. David Perron was really good for the Blues all season. And, you know, when he was out of the lineup, it just seemed like no one was able to step up in his, you know, absence. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko had, you know, a couple goals here or there. And he was able to, you know, even though he was battling, he's been battling injuries for the last, you know, year and a half, two years, he was able to come in and give us a little bit of that old Tarasenko we're used to seeing. But, you know, this, this, this was more of, you know, a traditional sweep where you look at the Edmonton series as, you know, a really close sweep and Winnipeg was able to, you know, just capitalize on all four games. This one, you know, the Blues never really had a chance. You know, the Avalanche were just the better team. And my 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 uh, my perspective on this Avalanche team is that, you know, when Philip Grubauer is playing his best hockey, there's not a lot you can do to beat this Colorado team just because, you know, if you're looking for any disadvantage uh, that the Avalanche have, it's maybe a net just because Grubauer hasn't been able to prove in prove himself to go on like a deep run, you know, obviously he hasn't won a, he hasn't won a Stanley cup as the starting goalie. He was the backup in Washington. Um, but when he's playing great, this Colorado team is going to be a really tough out just because, you know, like I mentioned with the Islanders, they have four complete lines and three complete D pairs, but the difference between the avalanche and the Islanders is the avalanche have that star power. They have McKinnon, Ranton and Landis Cobb. Um, they have Makar and Devon Taves, Girard on the blue line, just, a really, really solid team. And, you know, it's crazy to think that only, you know, four or five years ago, uh, years ago, they were the laughing stock of the league. I remember they came last place. They had one of the worst, you know, regular seasons ever. They had this fun time where one of their players was on a breakaway and instead of shooting it on net, he dropped it back to the defenseman on the other team. And that was kind of just like the low light of their entire season. And, uh, you know, you look at this team now and they look like, you know, 
one of the best teams, you know, we, we've seen and, you know, a real threat to win. And I think, you know, this, this 4-0 sweep was kind of like a nice, you know, break into the playoffs for them. Obviously, I think, you know, one thing that does come out of it, Nazem Kadri, you know, can't control his temper. Uh, you know, as we're used to seeing in the playoffs, you know, when he played in Toronto, he got suspended two years in a row. Uh, and then he kept it clean last year. He had a great playoff for them last year in the bubble. Uh, but, you know, he is suspended and that might have an impact on the series against Vegas in the second round. That's true. Yeah, you know, I, and I should have mentioned that. But, yeah, you know, it, it's weird that, you know, with Kadri getting traded, you'd think that uh, it, he was probably traded for discipline reasons, for not being disciplined in the playoffs when it matters most. And, you know, he was a real scoring threat or one of the very little scoring threats on Toronto when he did play for them. Um, and it's weird to see that he's not he's still back to his old ways again. Like you'd think he learned his lesson from, you know, being suspended twice or I don't do those hits anymore, but uh, now he's suspended again. And, you know, I, I thought I'd bring up that Nate McKinnon is just doing Nate McKinnon things. Like he is completely tearing up. He tore up the blues. Uh, Kale McCarr tore up the blues. It's the avalanche could be the next modern day dynasty as we look at it. No, and I really think that, you know, they're, they're real threats to do it. You know, they have a really solid core and, you know, all their pieces are super young too. Uh, you know, Landis Cog being a quote unquote veteran on the team, you know, he's not even too old himself, obviously a UFA at the end of the season, but, you know, I think they have the pieces to keep him. And the real, you know, thing that supports the Avalanche being this long-term dynasty is not even their team now, but who they have in the pipeline, you know, Newhook got some action in this series against the Blues, but you got guys like, you know, Bo and Byram in the system as well. Like, uh, and the defenseman they drafted last year, I remember um, first round, uh, Poirier, I believe, Jeremy Poirier. It might be him, might be some other guy. But, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, Joe Sackick has just done an incredible job, you know, as GM of this team. And, you know, all the credit should go to him. Uh, maybe not all the credit, but, you know, a lot of it just because he, he's built this team really well. And, uh, you know, they, they look scary for any team going up against them. You're talking about Justin Barron there, to correct you. Justin uh, Barron, Justin yeah, Barron. 25th overall in 2020. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. Like, he is going to be a stud on their blue lines, which makes which makes the – this is a good move for the GM. Like, it makes one of their already defensemen that has played well. Like, you know, do they trade Gerard? Do they trade Taves? Right? Like, their, their trade prices are really high, which you could get a great return from. Mm -hmm. And they're so well built. You look last season, what they did, uh, they traded Nikita uh, Zadorov to the Blackhawks just for one year out of Brandon Saad. You know, they're not going to be able to have the cap to re-sign him. Brandon Saad's going to hit the open market. But, you know, they have that depth where, you know, maybe they can trade off one of their pieces for, you know, a better player with a similar contract uh, and, you know, just keep going for that cup. I think, you know, they're in a win now mode but you know it's also win for the next 10 years i think this colorado team it's only a matter of time before they do win a cup the only question is how many are they going to win moving on to pegs's predictions uh the segment that doesn't stop but uh with the nhl only having one game on tomorrow on tuesday uh it's the lightning and hurricanes their game two of a round two uh the tampa light tampa bay lightning won game one of a score of two to one so it's very tight checking uh, you know, Nadokovic had a bad goal let in, which I'm sure he'd like to have that have back. But I think Carolina is going to take game two. I think it would be a nice tie going back to Tampa Bay, tie up 1-1. 
Yeah, no, it was a really close game one. You know, Tampa won it 2-1, uh, but they were able to steal that game on the road, and I think that's all they really needed to do in these first two games. I think Carolina's going to, you know, come out and be a really exciting team tomorrow night uh, just because, you know, they dropped that first game on the road. And, you know, even though they had a close series, you know, it was 2-2 with Nashville, you know, they, they were never down in that series any games, and they were never in, you know, any real dangerous situation. But if they lose tomorrow night, Tampa Bay has a two, uh, two-game lead heading back to Tampa. It's going to be really tough for them. So I'm expecting, you know, the best Hurricanes team we've seen this season to come out tomorrow night. And I'll take the Hurricanes in that one. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on another edition of Down to the Wire. It's always a pleasure, Pags.